This episode is dedicated to the memory of Tom Shep. Tom Shep is a freelance photographer and designer who worked across a, numer- a number of different fields, including television and also watch design. Uh, unfortunately, he passed away last week at the age of 36, and this episode is dedicated to him. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 31 of Beer and Buns. My name's Chris. My name's James. Uh, and we'll go straight into our tried and tested for this episode, which is probably our most argued about beer in all of craft history, I'd probably say. Um, wow. I mean, it kind of is, actually, when we think about it. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. Uh, yeah. Basically, it is Punk IPA from Brewdog. Now, we've mentioned this many times. You're a massive fan of it and love it. It's probably one of your go-tos. Me, personally, yeah. I despise it. Um, so, not to give too much away straight from the off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so... Uh, Punk really IPA. holding the card close to your chest there, aren't you? Like... <laughs> I thought we'd just go, yeah, straight in. No, pull no punches, shall we say. Uh, yeah, so this is the... It's Brewdog's flagship beer, really, isn't it? So it is one of your favourites, so I'll let you talk about it while I have a swig and try not to recoil at the same time. Yeah, I mean, the way I'd probably describe this in, in terms of your worst nightmare of a, of a, a beer, it's it's an IPA that's incredibly hoppy. And, I, it you know, for me personally, it, it's that balance between what is a crisp IPA and what is kind of a hoppy IPA and this has a very bitter aftertaste um, and that's kind of what they're going for um, it's one we talked about on the past because we've actually also had the double punk as well yes. haven't we? which is essentially the same version of punk IPA but basically double the strength of hops double the strength of alcohol and I think when we talked about that it was terrible we, we both hated it it was way too over the top um, but for you, I think you've always said, actually, it tastes just as bad as this. So I'm curious to know your thoughts now. Well, I've just had a swig of it. And it's not obviously as bad as the double punk. The, the, the whole point of the punk IPA, though, is for kind of an imbalanced kind of IPA. It's purposely trying to be different and stand out from the crowd. Yeah. And I understand that's what they're going for. Yeah, It's just the notes that they picked up doesn't really lend itself to my palate particularly well. You do get the hoppiness, but I don't think it's particularly well balanced through. You do get that kind of sharpness too, but I don't know, it's just a lot of beers we tend to have and enjoy as an overall rule. We can still get the big hoppiness, but it kind of, everything is kind of a bit of a journey through it. So you can kind of have one flavour at at the initial part, then maybe pick some of the notes in the middle and then something slightly different in the end, but they all kind of lend themselves in a very kind of similar kind of capacity where this, for me, purposely goes different. And I understand that's the actual premise of it, but I just don't enjoy the hops they've used. Yeah, I, I know what you mean because I mean they they label it themselves as kind of the postmodern classic, which is what they have on the on the can, and I think that's kind of what they're going for. There, it's not a very complex beer in any way, uh, and I completely agree with that. I mean, most of the IPAs that I think we both agree on tend to be kind of that tropical fruit with some hoppiness, but not over the top. And it, like you say, it's very much blended throughout. This is all about that kind of hoppy aftertaste, so all of that hop hits you in one massive go. And it stays. Um, but the thing for me is, and I've always said, that is the one part of an IPA that I love. I love that hoppiness. So that's why I think me and, if I'm being honest, me and my dad probably go for this uh, quite yeah. often. So it's a regular at Weatherspoons as well. It's, you know, it was one of the first kind of brew dog uh, beers, I think, to go on, on tap um, at quite a lot of different pubs as well, um, because it is kind of one of their staple ones uh, in terms of in the UK market. So I'm guessing most people have heard of it or seen it who are listening, to be fair. It I is, think Brewdog, you know, it's such a their... global brand that yeah, you know, exactly. so many people would have come across it, whether they're based in the UK or the US. I think they've got some uh, developments over in like uh, Australia and New Zealand as well now. So it's one of the ones that most of the world yeah. has come across, yeah. So. It's crazy how big they grow as well. Like I remember five years ago trying to get hold of some of their beer in supermarkets was nigh on impossible. Like you had some maybe Elvis juice or you had um, Brewdog Punk IPA, for example. But you know, I went into Morrison's today and it was crazy. There was probably about 15 different Brewdog beers. They had some of their collaboration beers as well. Like, you know, they've got such a defined brand now that actually they can have a lot of these different, unique kind of almost one tape beers and actually put them out there. And that's really crazy to be fair. You know, it's one of those kind of, like you say, now it's an established brand, but the fact we've seen that all the way through, 
at least for my generation, I don't think we've had that. You've probably seen that for some others, don't get me wrong. But like for me, it is one Yeah, of it's kind of gone from a case of I don't believe it's really craft beer anymore. They are very much more of a mainstream company. You know, that's not a bad thing. I mean, that, that shows how well they've developed and, you know, <clears throat> what they managed to achieve in a relatively short space of time, especially the fact being like originally rejected from uh, Dragon's Den. Yeah, what they managed to do to turn things around is like nothing short of amazing. Uh, I believe their first uh brew house slash hotel was over in Columbus, Ohio. Hello, Columbus, our top listeners. Um, <laughs> oh, to be fair, I mean, I very rarely plug anything, so I mean, if Brewdog do want us to uh come over and, and go to one of their hotels uh and pay for us to maybe do a podcast and recording and a little review of it, we're happy to, to do that, aren't we, Chris? Yeah, we've done uh, video episodes for a while, as well, so. Yeah, exactly. I thought, you know, throw it <clears throat> also, I mean, we'll happily, we'll happily take all the data to Columbus, Ohio. We've got fans there, so. Yeah, quite a lot, by the time. But yeah, so that was, that's uh, Punk IPA. It's, um, most people will know what it's like. To be honest, I do have a, it's definitely not as bad since having the double punk. I think the double punk was so over the top that it would just, bombard the senses where this does seem a little bit nicer but still not one I would run to get personally um, but yeah so that's Punk IPA from Brewdog now uh, first subject we're going to talk about James is for a change Disney Plus uh, and it's Falcon and Winter Soldier now, are you sure we're not sponsored by Disney Plus do we have like a referral code or link we should get one honestly we, should, we definitely yeah. should yeah, um, yeah. well it's good massive geeks and with the uh, limited stuff that's being released at the moment, there's not really a lot to watch, is there? So, um, let's be honest, it will be mentioned again as well with things like Loki in the uh, pipeline and uh, Black Widow. And what if as well? What if, like, they'll, they'll be, we'll, we'll be mentioning this in future. Yeah, more than likely. Apologies. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Falcon and Winter Soldier is a TV series from Disney Plus, which follows directly on from WandaVision. They're not related in the stories at all. Um, WandaVision. Uh, we briefly mentioned it when it first started, and I hated the first couple of episodes. It did turn out to be a really, really good series. So if yeah. you haven't seen that, definitely worth a blast. Um, Falcon and Winter definitely, Soldier. Def- yeah, I was going to say one of is definitely a slow burner, whereas you know this is completely the opposite. <laughs> oh yeah, action, action straight from the off. Uh, yeah, so Falcon and Winter Soldier um, kind of go a different route. So one of is much more focusing on emotional aspect of things. Falcon and Winter Soldier is much more along the lines of like espionage and um, action kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I've, I believe there's only one episode left. We've seen the first five episodes yeah. and I've been blown away. But I think the characters that haven't actually had the forefront in the movies kind of been pushed to a side. I think they've given them a chance to properly develop and get some proper backstory yeah. and context from them. I found it absolutely amazing. What's your take being on it? I, I think I'm the exact same. Honestly, it, you know, WandaVision was good, but actually this has stood apart kind of night and day for me in terms of the two different TV shows. Um, you know, it's far closer to that kind of gritty action. And, and I think me and you both agree, one of our favourite films of the Marvel franchise is Captain America 2. And it is yeah, that kind of realism <laughs> kind, of, uh, kind of action scenes. And you get that feeling from it. And, and for me personally, like say the emotional stuff, you know, because... Without not wanting to give two way, you know, a lot about Captain America's legacy, who can take yeah. that on, any kind of that aspect of it, and and just seeing some of the kind of psychological stuff, um, you know, Winter Soldier especially, some of those scenes really good, and you know, it is it is really kind of well constructed as well. Like there's a really good narrative to it, um, but also it's not over egged either. I think like it's actually just really well done. Um, you know, the main villain as well, you know, I really like that aspect of it, the kind of collective element yeah. of it as well. And, and you kind of have a real feeling for them. Like that thing, in my opinion, quite often you have a villain, you, you don't really like the villain, whereas actually you kind of empathise quite a lot with where they're coming from and kind of their backstory as well. And like I say, I think the, the great thing about a TV show over, like if this was in a movie for two hours, you get a, le- a little bit more build up, you get a little bit more context behind everything. Uh, and everything seems really well-developed in that sense. Without Well, to kind of put really things into context without giving too much away, because you yeah. kind of touched on it there. I just wanted to make uh, give the listeners a bit of the kind of backstory from it. So anybody who hasn't seen Avengers Endgame, 
mean, it's been out for a couple of years now, so hopefully Spoiler everyone alert understood here. Yeah. Uh, what the premise Skip is. Skip forward five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but realistically, it's a case of the main villain, Thanos, clicks his fingers, wipes out half the population of the planet, um, and then at the end of Endgame, managed to bring all these people back. The main villain group inside Falcon Winter Soldier is based around the group of people that kind of filled the voids with people that have gone. And then when these people came back, immediately got displaced and kind of lost in the world. And it's about them trying to basically seek what they think is A, their right, and B, the fact that they feel that they've been completely disregarded afterwards. So there is a, a really touching element to it and a kind of realistic aspect, which I think is quite interesting if something like that were to ever happen. I mean, I know a lot of it wouldn't, but, you know, it's an interesting concept to go along and then everything is kind of based from that premise. Um, one thing I will say, it is a bit of a spoiler, but Zemo, absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, the, the best part about that is they did release a, a one-hour yeah. video of Zemo <laughs> yeah. dancing on YouTube, and it was amazing. I watched it all. Did yeah. you actually watch the whole hour? I wanted to know if they <laughs> slipped anything kind of hidden detail in, but yeah, no. I just think it's it's that fan service that they they you know, and I think this is what Disney Plus is right now. And I think you know it's taken them a while to get to this point, but they've got fan service, they've got regular content, they've they've had time to kind of get it in the pipeline and get it start churning out. And I think you know they've got some really good established series now, and, and you know the fact they're getting their movie franchises into those TV series it's worked really well. But of course, there are examples, Chris, where it's not worked so well um, you know, in the Disney Plus. Uh, yeah, I do believe there's a, 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 another, an, another TV show that you've uh, uh, been watching oh. very briefly. If you haven't seen Falcon Winter Soldier, you don't need to be a massive Marvel fan, but definitely give it a blast. It's, if you like your espionage and kind of conspiracy yeah, yeah, stuff, definitely, definitely, definitely give it a watch. But yeah, so what's, um, what's been disappointing you on Disney Plus things? So, um, yeah, I, I think I've, I've mentioned it in the past. And I was quite I was quite excited for it. Um, the Mighty Ducks Game Changers, the, the TV series, trying to bring back those glory days of the Mighty Ducks uh, I mean, movies. I, 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 very briefly before you continue, uh, when you mentioned this previously about this being a premise uh, and uh, something that we're looking into, I do believe I said it was just sounded utterly horrendous. What's your take on it? It's utterly horrendous. Um, no, <laughs> no. I, it's, it's what I expected it to be, don't get me wrong. Um, I expected it to be quite cheesy and really to kind of play up to the movies and stuff like that. I, I remember, I think I mentioned it on the podcast previously, how this wasn't actually following the Ducks. This was actually following a different team yeah. because they were kicked off of the Ducks. And, you know, I think the fact that, you know, it's five or six episodes in and you're still basically watching a team that are going against the Ducks why it's called the mighty ducks anymore i don't really see the point they're actually called the don't bothers that's their team is it really the don't bothers yeah just like the tv team. show don't bother just just like the tv show and you know episode six um and finally i'll have to actually commit yourself to episode six and like see if it gets i know i'm I'm committed now the entire time, right? I, I put time into it. I'm, I'm going to do it. But episode six, and uh, it's only just at this point that Coach Bombay has finally started coaching again. Wow. <laughs> and given that's your main, you know, the main link between the Ducks, if you like, that kind of fan service. He's been in the background and, you know, being quite sarcastic, throwing some comments in and, you know, providing some humour. And I put that with inverted commas. Um, <laughs> but actually to get to this point, and yeah, it's just, it, it's it's American cheesy, you know. And I think the way I, I try to describe it to a friend, it's if you took the worst bits of the Mighty Ducks and then added some like high school musical shit to it. Um, and that's what you basically get. Wow. Yeah, and I said an, I said a bad word there as well. That's not that, a bad that's word, how, it's fine. Oh, that's what I know. I said bad word. I didn't say banned. I said bad word. But yeah, uh, but yeah, that's how infuriate because I wanted it to be at least good. But yeah, um, it, it's not. <laughs> that's all I have to say about it. <laughs> yeah, I, the, no points uh, in the whole premise of it. Did it look sound like it was going to be a, a good story? It sounded like it was going. It was definitely like just trying to yeah. get what little hope. There was left from uh, having the Mighty Ducks. I mean, even the, the, the actual Mighty Ducks, the, the actual, actual team dropped the Mighty because they were just terrible. So, yeah, the worry is I heard they've actually already renewed it for a second season. If that is true, wow. 
that is that's a bold play by doing they've got money to burn that's for sure so <laughs> thank you for not saying i told you so as well so i appreciate that and i think at this point we should just move on <laughs> I mean, well it's quite interesting that uh the premise of game changers being uh a bunch of people not happy with uh something and kicking off and starting your own section so we'll bring that up in the uh, next part after with uh Gone on to our I Peter see. Falk. So the I, I see what you did there. I see what you did. That was very clever. Well, the tried and tested was Punk Hog Day from Brewdog. Now the uh, Peter Falk for this episode is something from uh, Woodford's Brewery in Norfolk, and it's called Pure Brew- Gold. Now I actually misread this the first time. I was like, is that a typo? I- I, I misread it too. I thought it was pure gold as yes. well. Yes, so, and I think that's yeah. the reason why it makes sense why it should be called pure gold, but it's called pure gold. Uh, and that's the reason why it's the Peter Falk, because I'm a bit intrigued to why. And also it slightly infuriated me because, you know, I have massive OCD issues. So um, lightly roasted pale I'm, I'm, I'm glad you said that because I agree, because it infuriates <laughs> me too. Uh, lightly roasted pale malts are combined with hops from America, Slovenia and Britain, creating the uniquely aromatic golden ale with intricate citrus notes. So on the bottle, you know, it does give us the type of things that we would naturally look for in a beer. Uh, I'll let you have a quick swig. So I was going to I was going to quickly say the golden colour, to be fair. It's kind of a darker gold, though, I would say, from, uh, from my standpoint, but, you know. Yeah, I know what you mean. Kind of a bit like a lighter ale. Yeah. Uh, but it's, not, it's in the ballpark of like a golden ale, I suppose. Um, 4.3%, the punk uh, IPA was 5.4. So be interesting to see how this compares in that respect. Uh, what's your take on it? Very good. Very good. Oh. That is, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not normally a massive fan of golden ales, but that is incredibly smooth. I mean, it's very subtle. I mean, as you'd expect from a golden ale, normally you're not necessarily packing loads of flavour, but um, you definitely get the taste of, of, of what you'd expect from a golden ale. Um, not too overpowering, very kind of light. Um, kind of almost verging more on the side of like a, a, a pilsner almost or a lager. It, it's that yeah, it's kind got an of interesting like, aroma to it. I haven't had a swig of it yet, but the, yeah. the aroma's definitely got, you can pick some subtleness to it, but I can't exactly pinpoint what it is. Yeah. And that's thing, it, it's that, it, I don't know, Golden Ale, sometimes you get a little bit more full-bodied than this, whereas this is kind of almost closer to a, kind of a lager, a kind of European style, to be fair. I don't know, it's it's that flavour profile from it. I see what you mean. It is less yeah. like a Golden Ale. There's definitely a distinct kind of, easy drinking all day session in the sunshine in yeah. the beer garden like vibe to it. I don't know if it's Which is why I like it because we do like beer garden. <laughs> yeah, we do. Uh, golden ale, I think probably a wrong analogy for it. But um, that's why it's not pure gold. It's pure gold. What is pure though? What That's the biggest question. What I, honestly, I, have, I have no idea. Please tell us in the comments uh, on social media if, if you know what pure means. But I mean, we could just search it, but I feel like that that that's too good. I mean, uh, also, maybe, maybe, I mean, it's from Norfolk, so I suppose it could be the sixth finger that caught the keyboard as they were typing. That is true. And they just kind of went with it. Other, otherwise, they could be, maybe there is another beer, pure gold, and they're just ripping it off. Have you actually this this is a random segue and this wasn't where we we're gonna go, but we're gonna go there anyway. Okay, uh, have you seen the have you seen the Cuthbert versus Colin the Caterpillar that's going around currently <laughs> on social media? Because well, I have I wonder loved why you mentioned that, James. I have loved every second of it. Yeah, I don't know why I've mentioned it. Uh, but yeah, so for, for for the kind of listeners who might not have seen it, um Colin the Caterpillar, which I think you know in the UK is a famous brand of cake sold by Audi. Uh, stopped by uh, Marks and Spencer's. <laughs> wow. Stopped by Marks. That is bad. Sorry, Colin Cabot is sold by Marks and Spencer's. It's a chocolate cake in the shape of a caterpillar. Essentially, it's a, it's a chocolate um, Swiss roll with chocolate on it. <clears throat> and a yeah, caterpillar face stuck so, on the front. You know, they, they have that. But um, M&S have actually sued Audi, which are a kind of a budget supermarket over in the UK. I say that as if they're not a global brand, but we're going to go with it. Um, <laughs> because they have a chocolate caterpillar cake called Cuthbert. And so they're suing them for kind of uh, copyright infringement, trademark infringement, I think. Uh, and it's just really funny to see because honestly, social media has gone crazy for it. And I, I think there's a lot of respect that I have for Audi and the way they played it, especially on social media. Shocker that, yeah. Yeah, shocker that, shocker that. Not that I work for them or anything. Uh, but um, <laughs> I might as well allude to the joke that you keep mentioning. So um, <laughs> I like keeping people in the dark, really- you know that. 
Yeah, I know, but it's it's just been really good to see it. And then also all the other supermarkets that have come <clears> to kind of, you know, like Cuthbert's aid, if you like, because every other supermarket in the UK has a chocolate caterpillar named something. Um, my favourite is Wait, really Wait, Waitrose is, as I think, uh, Cecil, Cecil, the caterpillar yeah, or something Cecil, like that. Yeah. They haven't. They haven't got sued. But, but this is know, the thing that I don't understand. Because, well, out of like, every single supermarket in the UK has a caterpillar chocolate cake. Yeah. Yeah. For some reason, the M&S have pinpointed Aldi. Now, M&S shoppers aren't going to naturally swap to Aldi. For me, that Waitrose the makes market. sense, right? Waitrose yeah. makes sense because it's closer to that thing, and I think that's what people have kind of made made the kind of think about and also it's not like one supermarket like Audi is known for passing off more products that I think all supermarkets pass off their own yeah, brand stuff or stuff because <clears throat> it's you know it's how it sells like if a popular brand is doing well that's what inevitably you're going to try and make a cheaper brand that people might want to come and buy so um just the idea of, of trademarking you know a caterpillar cake so now nobody else will ever make a caterpillar cake is just quite funny yeah, the, the social media for I, Aldi and Lidl was uh, um, Lidl's on Baby Laugh yeah, uh, because obviously yeah. Aldi put loads of different things like free Cuthbert. Yeah. Uh, they did a mock-up of the uh, Cuthbert cake with bars all over the plastic yeah. uh, and changed uh, 12 servings to 12 years and all them little like, sort of nods to it. I thought that was fantastic. But um, Lidl in Ireland um, did a bit of a thing on it as well. It was um, like... <laughs> Lidl's uh, marketing department at this present moment in time, and they had a screenshot of Google's like animals that look like caterpillars that aren't <laughs> just different things underneath it. Brilliant! Oh my god! Um, that's yeah, that's good. Oh. yeah, the, the social media aspect has definitely blown up. And to be fair, I hope that I'm not generally quite a big uh, fan of it. If you've created something, you know, you know people should like respect the work same as like if like music or art or any kind of yeah. that type of respect but because of the way in which it's been handled i kind of don't want mns to win not because of you know not because yeah. that's a detriment because yeah everyone is everything's calling the caterpillar everything's marks expenses nobody thinks any of the cheap ripoffs it's always exactly. marks expenses yeah so if anything i don't kind of understand where it's kind of come from but each their own, and you never know what kind of going through people's head as they do these things. Do you? Yeah, so. it'll be interesting to see how it goes because I think if if let's say it does go against Audi or whatever, I think that sets like a really dangerous precedent for all supermarkets copying brand stuff from other supermarkets. Then because it's you know that's a very weird thing to 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 put forward because then you you know would M S have a monopoly over caterpillar cakes? Well, that's it. You, know, you kind of get understand a caterpillar is not something that is. You know, unique to Marcus Spencer's caterpillar is a caterpillar. You know what I mean? So yeah. yeah. <clears throat> no, for me, I think it's a bit silly, but we'll see how it pans out. Anyway, but... I digress. Carry on. <laughs> yeah. So uh, <laughs> what we did before, Clancy's random segue. Uh, yeah, to push his agenda. Um, we were going to actually talk about the new Super League. Now, nice. this is football, so it's definitely out of our wheelhouse. So please definitely bear with out us. My um, I've, I've seen I've seen a lot of, on social media about this. I think I read a little bit on BBC News, and there was a small bit of there was a small clip I saw of uh, I think it was on BBC Sport where they were talking about kind of the origin of sport being for the working man, and this goes against that. And you know, so I'm I, think, I don't think it's the origin of sport, but well, no, no, not the origin of sport, but the origin of football is the idea. It's yeah. a kind of working man's game, and the idea is it, it's that. You come home from a hard day week, can you, you know, weekend, you want to watch sport, you don't want to have all the paywall behind it and actually, you know, um, be ruined for your local team because, you know, only the top teams can get the best players. And to be fair, that's what football has kind of become. So I grew up following football um, because the accent can't get it away. I'm from Dudley. Um, So the main sport is. Football. There's very little. I thought I thought that was an Irish accent. <laughs> oh, sorry, my bad. Sorry, sorry. I was at a reason why you had your Irish trade a few uh, months back. Um, Never happened. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah. So um, basically, football is like in the black country in 
you know, it's the heart and soul of most of the communities. So most families will spend uh, their Saturdays and Sundays watching like Sunday league or grassroots level. Um, and then if not, like generally they'll train or whatever, then go straight to local matches for like Wolves, West Brom, Villa, or any of those type of clubs. You know, so football is like massively ingrained into, you know, the psyche in that area. Um, and I, I actually used to be a West Brom uh, fan and season ticket holder when I was younger as well. So it was an enjoyable thing for me to go and watch. But the biggest thing that kind of started putting me off football was the way in which money was ruining the sport. Um, and so much so in the end, I actually gave up on it altogether and I haven't. I think I watched my first game of football uh, a couple of weeks back for the first time in like 10 years, you know, so it's not something that I massively follow. Um, And the kind of setup is you've got your multiple different tiers inside the UK, um, inside England, Scotland, um, you know, there's a couple of Welsh clubs that are inside the English leagues, but they have their own leagues as well. Above that, you've got European competition. So you've got your Champions League and then you've got Europa Cup, which is like kind of like the second tier version. So, but again, you can still contest for European championships and that's supposed to be the pinnacle of the game. The championships are run by, obviously you've got the FA in England, but then you've also got UEFA and FIFA. So UEFA actually run the league, like the Europa Leagues and the Champions League, but then the FIFA is like the governing body that oversees it all. It's long been known that UEFA and FIFA are generally quite corrupt in the way in which they do their operations. So essentially, they they pretty much um, just just in case we get any kind of legal lawsuit, we we don't we don't think you're corrupt. I mean, we love you. Thank you. Uh, I mean, it's actually been proven, and people have been actually like sent down for it. But um, they may have been corrupt in the past, not anymore. Let's yeah, anyway, carry on. <laughs> well, no, that's the whole premise of it. So realistically, um, because those uh, organisations essentially make a lot of money from other people doing their stuff, there's been rumours about them about certain teams like breaking away and creating a separate leagues just so that the money can go back into the clubs. That was the original idea. I think that was what people actually were looking for. The actual terms of this agreement now for this potential Super League that's come out is kind of different to what that original idea is. So essentially, this Super League, if it does go ahead, is going to be up to 20 elite teams across Europe. At the moment, only 12 signed up, including six uh, English teams, um, where basically they cannot be relegated from it. They have because sole I'd control say that they are guaranteed it. to compete every season, which yeah. just seems the whole competition element of it is kind yeah. of rude. It, they're always they've there. removed that section, but I'll come back to that. Yeah. So yeah. not that it's paid to play or anything. Essentially, they've done like microtransactions. You're jumping ahead. Yeah. Bear with. Yeah. So basically, they've the original premise of the actual league was to create a separate one where realistically no outside bodies would be able to influence it that all the money would be generated between all the different teams, then that money would be put down in a structure, spread out, and then, you know, with a whole idea of benefiting the game moving forward. The new setup has been set up by, essentially bankrolled by JP Morgan in the US, and they put just shy of $5 billion aside for it, where the teams would get £310 million each, just for entering the competition, uh, the winner would get uh, another two hundred and twenty million, I think. Um, and then, yeah, obviously, all your money from the revenue of the games um, and the way it would be structured is the league would be separated into two sets of ten, with the top three going through, and the fourth and fifth positions having a playoff going through towards the quarterfinals and everything like that. Apparently, they wanted to get more teams involved, which is the reason why the, the kind of the plan of this Super League came about anyway. So UEFA have actually changed the Champions League, so this is what it's going to be like moving forward, and they've gone away and broke broke off anyway. The backlash from this is basically all the governing bodies have decided if they do go ahead with the Super League, uh, essentially they will be kicked out of all other competitions, and it's just. Like, 
compared to the late league where American owners and Saudi owners and stuff like that are just going to sit there and like, try and get as much money as possible. We're actual very little money going back into the grassroots level of the game and actually trying to develop players. I can see... I see elements of both. Why so there's good parts that would be good and parts that would be bad. I just think the way in which this particular setup is, it's clearly done with making it elitist and yeah, watching everybody else off. So there's been a lot of backlash from it. Uh, like pundits have been going absolutely crazy. Um, just before we started recording this, there is a game going on tonight between Leeds and Liverpool, and there's been absolute riots outside the stands. Um, obviously because people aren't allowed into the stadiums at the moment but like fans are gathering outside just to get herd abuse at the uh, six breakaway teams like calling them disgraces and everything like that so there's a huge backlash from it so but yeah that's pretty much the uh, whole idea what's your take on it then James obviously because you got a little bit high rate earlier on so I'll, I'll uh... no I, I think just that the idea of, of having family members who are guaranteed to play in a league is just ridiculous then having separate teams who aren't founding members having to compete to, to get up there. You know, I think the whole point for me of having the league structure in football and the one thing I've always liked about it is the idea of rate relegation, right? And that's why it's a competition, why, you know, you always care about whether your team has got enough points and is doing well enough. Like if, if your team's a founding member and there's no way they can ever go, it kind of ruins a bit of that competition and, you know, it's just not what you want to see, I think. Uh, the funniest thing I saw about this was uh, the fact that Mourinho got fired today from Spurs. Everybody thought it was because they were one of the teams that signed up to be the Super League and they're like, no, we just don't want him to be a coach anymore. Uh, and that was kind of all the backlash on thing because everybody was throwing loads of abuse his way and he's like... Actually, I've just lost my job. Can you leave me alone, please? Like, but to be fair, he's, he's getting paid fifteen million pounds just to get rid of him, so I won't be too sorry for him. Um, I, I do feel bad for him. I do feel. I mean, what, <laughs> fifteen million pounds—that goes quickly, right? I mean, God. Um, but yeah, yeah I, just, so- I think it's it's one of those things that he's being blown blown out of proportions a little bit at the moment because I, actually, I don't think we know enough about it as well. Like, you know, in terms of how proposal are working and what teams get involved, I think. For me, what's very dangerous is saying to teams, well, if you want to join the Super League, then we're not going to let you play in our league. And, you know, kicking teams out and, and stuff like that and trying to monopolise what, you know, teams can play in which leagues. I think that's what will make it even more divisive, if anything. Um, whereas actually what they need to try and think, you know, is a way of doing it together. And like you say, because they are split up now, it's, it's, it's going to be a difficult uh, future for it to go ahead because I don't think they're going to let it go ahead in any form because now it's got all this bad publicity. Um, well, I, I can't see them letting them, you know, join the league and stay as part of their own league. So I got a feeling that I think the league will go ahead. If that is the case, there's a lot of people calling for the teams to be uh, immediately relegated and basically create a, a new bunch of teams inside the like Premier League and then obviously another like so many teams from the League 1 to the Championship and vice versa. If that does happen, if I'm completely honest, I actually think we'll make the Premier League a lot more interesting. Because the biggest problem is these so-called big six type of teams, all they do is throw so much unsustainable money at it because they've got massive financiers just... You've, this is their hobby. This, you know, doesn't you know, a couple of billionaire, yeah. yeah, a couple of billionaire doesn't make any difference. And you've got teams generally struggling to, you know, try and sustain themselves at top level and kind of like push themselves beyond where they should be. I actually think if you actually remove that element where those teams are massively overspending and actually had a more level playing field, I actually think the Premier League would become more interesting again. If that does happen and they get moved, like basically booted out of the Premier League, I don't think they should be allowed back in. I think it'll be, I, I don't know, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how it works, but it could go either way, right? In the terms of, you know, if the big six do lead, then does all that funding go with them? Or does the funding go into some of the smaller teams and actually they become the big six again? Which is interesting to see it from the start of the game, but are you just going to have the same problem in the end? Actually, no, I think remove, I think removing so, those type of big teams, I think, but, would actually make a massive difference. Yeah. And I, I think more of an even spread. Really, <clears throat> there is a lot of negative uh, press about it. Don't get me wrong, 
but I think it ultimately, like um, one of my friends who's a Manchester City fan, he was actually for this. He was like, actually, that's what I want to see. You know, he wants to see the Super League. And it's interesting to know certain fans that are for this and against it. So I think it's ultimately the fans that will be driving it because the big six have a lot of fan base behind them, right? And I think ultimately if that fan base decides that Super League better, you know, I'm not saying it will ever end the Premier League, but it will definitely change it in whatever way and it might become, you know, less. And, you know, I think people want to see the top footballers and that's kind of the point of that Super League of, of seeing them with all the European teams. I mean, things like... I think actually and Barcelona prefer, and stuff like that, you know, people I, want to see that. I think it's... A- Teams that have been bought and then had a lot of money thrown into them over the last kind of a decade or so that are more yeah. keen on getting the Super League up and running than the, the actual teams of the heritage. The big teams such as like yeah. Liverpool, who was a working man's club, who's happened to, you know, they put all, all their spare money goes onto them, going to watch their team because that's what they love to do. And actually, they don't do anything else apart from that. It is a working class culture and this goes against all the values of what that club's supposed to be. It kind of it does, but I, I mean, it depends. I mean, <clears> I, I mean, I, I think about a team like Barcelona. I mean, that is literally the football team for the fans, right? Like all the money comes from the sponsorship of the fans who do yeah. it. And I, I'm guessing anything like this will have actually been voted on by the fans to join in the first place, because actually everything is put to a vote of the fans who do it. So the fact that they've signed up to it, their fans, that is, in my opinion, in terms of the European working man's team, is that you know, it is that fan team. And the fact they wanted to sign up for it kind of shows to a certain extent there is definitely, you know, a want for it from, from at least some of the fans of certain teams. So, in terms of the heritage, I just find it, you know, the fact that you've got the big six, you know, clearly it's about money as well. But, you know, I think the way that they're seeing it as well is it's more money to put into, I suppose, like you say, the Premier League for them as well, like because their money goes to, to all of it. So, well, no, actually, the big the bigger thing is, I think if they were going to do it, they should have broke away and done it properly where it's not looking like a cash grab. It should have been done where actually it was all about the sport rather than just trying to make it. It is, but then, but like I say, I don't think football is about the sport anymore. So, no, you know, I think the fact they've accepted that, you know, people trying to now, you know, almost on the moral high ground be like, oh, look, they're trying to go for money. Isn't that what all football teams have been doing for, for the last couple of decades? I mean, you know, at the end of the day, this fact of, oh, they're money grabbers. I mean, if people haven't seen this, why are they so surprised at the end of the day? Like, you know, if anything, you know, the fact they're being a bit more open about it and this isn't like behind the scene deals kind of thing and it's actually a bit more public, I think it's a good thing and hopefully it will shape the league in a better way going forward. And, you know, if the Super League maybe backs off a little bit and changes some of their dynamic, maybe make it a little bit more competitive, I think actually no publicity is bad publicity and actually I think that will make it more positive when they make those changes and I think it might actually help them even more right so, so I'm going to stop you there yeah I think we talked about football far too much considering we both hate this as well we both <laughs> hate this subject why yeah. are we talking so, about well this? as a slightly different subject rugby American football ice hockey baseball I mean there's so many other sports out there go and watch them they're far more fun and a lot less money Right, so uh, the Bureau oh, Gold I, I was the Peter Falk for yeah. this episode. Uh, quite enjoyable, actually. A lot more different to what yeah. I was expecting. Uh, the Around the World for this episode is from, I believe it's Belgium. Uh, yes, Belgium. Uh, and it's called Westmall, Trappist, and the Dubal. So it's 7%. I will let you go first because as I was pouring out, I was recording because it looked absolutely horrendous. Yeah, no, I was doing the exact same. And uh, honest, I can't even, you know, it's bad when you can't Ooh. see through a glass properly at the end of the day. Well, it's very dark, uh, but smell, have a smell of it before you have a sip because that smell is actually quite a fruity Ooh. one. So that's Ooh. not what I was expecting. Um, <clears throat> I'll be honest, the look is very, very off putting, isn't it? It's, it looks like a porter. It's kind of like that type of uh, darkness to it. Uh, this dark reddish dubal is brewed within the walls of the Trappist Abbey on the small scale under the supervision of the monks. The income is used for their daily life and to maintain the abbey. A majority of the profits is donated to charities. This living beer ferments again in the bottle, store the bottle in an upright position and serve at 8 to 14 degrees. We're not that accurate. You may... What? Yeah, I'm not even going to read that rubbish. So what's your verdict then, James? I'm not sure. 
<laughs> that is a uh, in in classic James fashion. Um, that's the weird aftertaste. I, I'm trying to kind of get my head around it a I little bit. The, the aroma of it smells like, beautiful. The, it, it, it's almost herbal, is the way I, I kind of call it. Um, oh, there you go. That face. Ooh. Oh, this is where we need video. Yeah, there Ooh. you go. <laughs> Where's Ugo Camp? Oh, honestly, that's made all my hair stand on end as I had this <laughs> yeah, I mean, don't worry, it is, you can taste the strength of it straight off. In terms of flavour, I'm trying to get what that flavour is. Dirt. Dirt. I'm getting kind of a herbaly taste to it at the end, but very Dirt. strong herbal kind of thing. Dirt. Okay. You're not a fan. <laughs> what gave it away? I love the fact that you just took a massive gulp and then immediately like... I had to stop yourself from well, coughing I, all over I, your own I computer. Poured too, I, I've already poured way too much. That's I, yeah, I'm thinking the same. Uh, and I haven't poured as much as you. <laughs> it's, um, I'll tell you what the reaction was when I had the three of it. You know when you sit down too fast and actually you sit on one ball and it's a bit of a pinch. Mm. That was kind of like the uh, Yeah, we, we've had. all been there. We've all been there. Yeah. Well, have yours yeah. dropped now? Uh, eventually, well, <laughs> listeners would would probably <laughs> not viewers. Well, it's not. What do you mean viewers? It's not a video element, to it, is it, Chris? Come on, come on, mate. Um, I think one thing I will mention though, um, which I'm getting a lot, is quite heavy carbonation. Yeah, it's um, which is weird to me that it has that much carbonation. It's a bit like medicine. It's a bit like cough yeah. medicine. That's probably the best way I can describe it. I'm trying to think. I, I have had a few uh, doobles in my time, man. And normally you kind of go towards the licorice flavour. Mm. It's kind of a standard that you get often find. Um, okay. or, or you get a hint of aniseed, I think. Yeah. Yeah, but even that, it's like I say, it, it's a herbal taste which you're referring to as dirt. And I do I do know what you need. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's a weird flavour as well. Um, yeah. And yeah, it, it also, given the amount of carbonation in it, right, is quite a heavy drink as well. That's saying it does taste quite heavy to me. So um, yeah, I yeah. can't say that I uh, I would rush into try and finish this beer, but I need to before I go into the next one. This is where we need four glasses. I'm not gonna lie. So I, I was gonna say, gonna, if I can get you gabbing on about something, I might go and sneak off and grab another glass and come back. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, that that's that's where your relevance go to. There you go. Oh. Okay, in which case, in which case, Chris, this is your time. Okay, so um, what I wanted to talk <laughs> I'm about like that is... sounded like the really creepy way of saying that. This is your time. I'm a creepy guy. Uh, what can I say? So um, on Friday, I was lucky enough to finally get out to a pub and have a, a pint in the sun. Like, I was thought you were going to say you followed through, but yeah, carry on. Finally, come out. <laughs> Damn it, damn it. That'll be clipped now. Um, but yeah, I finally I finally went out and um, had a pint in a beer garden and it, and it's very weird. So for anybody who's listening who's, who's not in the UK, um, we finally got uh, some kind of retail open, non-essential retail open and pubs and restaurants are allowed to open, but with beer gardens only outside. Uh, there's a lot of funny stories around that. One of the favourites uh, was in London uh, I think somebody spent about 50 grand on this really expensive wooden outdoor seating area. But then two days before it was opening or like the week before it was opening, it was told by the council it didn't fit the spe uh, specifications because it needs to be 50% open. So despite having spent 50 grand and like putting loads of venting in it and stuff like that, it wasn't open enough to actually count. And they didn't give him enough time to then actually make the modifications. So he's, yeah, very pissed off as you'd expect. Wow. Yeah, that was one of the funny stories I did hear of it, to be fair. But to be fair, I think, you know, in, in the UK, I would say a lot of pubs have had a lot of work done over the last couple of months, and they've yeah. been gearing up for this. I mean, it's one of those things where we've known that pubs would be reopening only outdoors for a while. Yeah. So I think a lot of people have put a lot of time into making some really nice outdoor seating area. And I think, you know, given that we don't have the best summers anyway, it's going to be a waste of time in the long run, but it's really nice to know that smokers have a paradise now. Is that the uh, do so, well repeating on you though, James? <laughs> it's honestly the carbonation. I can't, I keep using that word, but that is, that is very gassy. Um, but yeah, um, it's one of those where we've got these really nice outdoor seating areas now and you know, the weather's actually nice 
He said nice outdoor seating areas. I mean, there's some places where it literally just looks like it's a shit sale. Um, (laughs) The best one I've... So, uh, the local Weatherspoons in Derby, which you know isn't going to be the nicest place (laughs) to to go drink anyway. uh, They don't have a beer garden, yet they're open. Uh, They turn their five-space staff car park into an outdoor (laughs) beer garden by putting, like, six tables out there or something. And I kid you not, I went out on Friday and there was a queue of about 30 different groups waiting to get in. They've only got like five or six tables. Like they must have been waiting for hours and hours to get in just to get Weatherspoons. I'd rather pay an extra pound per pint and just not, not do it. We walked for an extra five minutes down the road and got this really nice beer garden that was virtually empty. And I think it's just a lot of people obviously see long queues and assume oh, every pub is going to be like that. But actually, I think there's quite a lot of nice local pubs that are a little bit more off the beaten track that you can find and, and were, were quite, um, yeah, quite reasonably empty, well, to be fair. So. As I've spoken before, I'm not a massive fan of Weatherspoons. The way in which they handled the uh, like whole <laughs> lockdown situation with their staff and everything the first time around gives me no yeah. uh, intention of ever going to one of their pubs again. If it's there, it's... The only time I'll probably use a weather spoon is just for the ice hockey in Coventry. That's probably about exactly. it. That's only because you're in the corner. It, it's a cheap drink. It's sometimes a nice place to meet people if, like, you want a quick, quick drink or you don't know kind of how long you're going to be there for. But, I mean, there are much nicer pubs to go to. Um, I'd say this, where, where in the areas we both lived, there's not that many nice weather spoons. I have been to what I would consider nice weather spoons in certain elements. There's a few in London. Uh, there's one Cardiff that's like an old theatre and it's like a really nice building and a slightly better atmosphere. But even then, it is a weather spoon, so like you can only polish a turd so much. Um, <laughs> and although it's a nice building, it is still the same thing. So um, it is one of those. But yeah, I finally, finally got out. And honestly, that pint tasted so good. My, my girlfriend, though, right, she decided you know, finally get out to a pub first time in two months to order a bottle of cider and just pour it into a glass with some ice as if we couldn't do that. And I'm glad that I paid like five pounds for that bottle of cider, you know, as well, just to to have that glory, be able to do it out and about rather than in your own home. To put that in context so, though, I mean, she is your girlfriend. So, I mean, disappointment is something that's going to be oozing anyway, isn't it? So, what what are you saying? I mean, what she's used to disappointment. She's exactly. Just accepted it at this point. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You know. But anyway, enough about Doris. Let's leave Doris out of this. Okay. Um, there, there's a question for you, which again, this is now a completely random thought from me. But um, I'm not in witness protection this week. Is that just? Oh, you're not. Is that not, is that not happening anymore? I think. Yeah, I think they clearly. I think they just rang me up and said, "There's no." They're like nobody actually cares about you. Nobody's coming looking for you. So. Well, yeah, I mean, um, as far as I'm aware, not even your family will come to try and find you, there. No, that is true. Yeah, my <laughs> parents have disowned me at this point. I mean, they, they kept threatening to come see me every week and they just didn't. So that was really nice of them. So, yeah, no, they don't listen to this, so I can kind of say what I want. Even if they did, I do, they probably wouldn't even hear it, Chris. So, you know, <laughs> who's Jeff? Who's Jeff? Uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, right, so that was the West Mile. I managed to uh, <laughs> neck my... The lift you just get out the way. Um, I wonder what's going to be bottom of our list, James. Right. So, um, what we'll do is we'll move on to the wild card for this episode, which is give, now... give me a second. Give me a second to, to drink it. Have we not finished yet? <laughs> for, those, for those listening, you know, because you won't be able to see him, of course, he did just pour it away. I didn't. I mean, I'm not going to lie, that's, that's a temptation for the rest of the bottle, but I did actually It is the temptation. Uh, no, this, this could this be bottle. the second beer we pour away. I think it will be the second beer we pour away. Third, isn't it? Um, right, so this one is called First Audition. It's a composed pale ale. Now, this one is technically made by Rude Mechanicals, but if you look... Further on the bottle, it's a, basically a collaboration between a winemaker and a brewer. So I can't actually fully establish who's supposed to be making this beer. With like you know, what was the uh, full idea behind it? So that's part of the reason why it was a wild card because it couldn't really work out what it was supposed to be. And also, the last time we had a collaboration with was it a brewer and a chef? It was utterly horrendous. So. 
Yeah, but you hope a winemaker would be slightly better, wouldn't you? Well, no, because we've had some beers that have been like fermented inside uh, like wine casks, and they've been terrible. So that's the reason why it's oh, had I to mean, be the wild card, yeah, really. So, so we had Brooklyn Lager uh, Triple Burner, didn't we? Oh, that was... Yeah, which was, you know, I think five years aged in a beer barrel, or uh, sorry, in a white wine cask, licorice flavour, cost £40 to get across from... Uh, USA and it was one of the worst beers we've ever had so and well, I've also was... had the brew dog one that was uh, fermented in champagne casks as well and that was uh, oh, I wasn't well, I, fan I, of that. yeah I, yeah yeah I tried that one actually so yeah, yeah this this, this had to be the wild card because of that so this one kind of got like a uh, tinge of golden amberness to it um, it does look on film that'll be, that'll be the Dubel that was still in the glass probably there is potential of that yeah so this is uh, our Debut release matches up 20 years of experience in winemaking and blending this with the passion and expertise of one of our favourite craft brewers, creating a light and refreshing pale ale with banging fruit based line. Uh, it's a citrus symphony of molten hops. See, when they make it like cheesy like that, it just makes you want to smash the bottle, doesn't it? Or is that just me? Oh, okay. So, this is what I'm, I'm curious about, to be fair, is exactly. So, Roof Mechanicals are probably the distributor or whatever. I don't think they're the brewers either. I think this is an independent brewer, independent winemaker come together to collaborate on a beer that they're distributing. So I don't think this is even their beer, if that makes sense. They're yeah, um, and that was kind of the thing I got because um, when I looked at Roof Mechanicals on social media, yeah. they basically do like rum and gin. I'm like, well... That, that's probably why, I think. So we've got um, Robert Wicks, who's the founder of Westerham Brewery in England, who I'm guessing yep. is a brewer, and then... Eric Monin, who's the winemaker from France. Yeah, because so. obviously a Frenchman's going to say Monin. Monin. <laughs> I'm just saying, if he, if Eric, I mean, he, he, Eric, Eric sounds like a Yorkshireman, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, so. but you, know, you have Eric to add Monin, some pretentiousness Eric to Monin. it. Yeah, he can't just say it. He's like, Eric Monin. You know what I mean? It'd be like that type Eric of thing. Eric Monin. All right, Mrs. Bouquet. All right, bucket. You know. <laughs> I've, I've had no complaints. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> right, uh, we, we both know that's not true. I'll let you try this one first. I'll let uh, you try this one first. So I'm, I'm curious. To I can pick up uh, quite a distinct hoppiness in the aroma. So, um, well, that's it. So, I mean, it's that citrus symphony of molten hops. So. I'm curious to know where the white wine kind of is going to come into it, to be fair, or, or the white, I say white, I, you know, I assume that, but it doesn't, the white elements of it, it doesn't at all. No, so. but I think this is more of your type of pale ale. Once you've had oh, a swig, I think you'll, uh, exciting. I, I think you'll understand what I mean. It is distinctly a pale ale, but there is a little bit of extra bit, like bitterness in it. Oh, that's ooh, the creepiest ooh. face I think I've seen for a while from you, James. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that, uh, a very, it's like I, a big hitter that, one, isn't it? It is a big hitter. I think actually you get a lot of um, kind of fruitiness at the start as well, kind of real hint of um, citrus at the start, which then leads into that kind of hoppiness towards the end of the aftertaste. Um, but actually it doesn't even linger that much either, which is, is quite good. I mean, it's quite refreshing. If I get a lot of the, but, I get the hoppiness at the start, but then a kind of a smoother finish to it. But it, as soon as I drank it, I was like, this is very much a dual type of beer. Yeah, I, I think it's just, um, it's quite punchy at the start in terms, not just from the hoppiness, but also from the fruit, which you don't normally get from kind of, you know, a citrus pale ale. Normally, yeah. I, I would say, you know, if this was um, kind of a tropical mango or passion fruit, normally you get that really juicy hit at the start, which actually you seem to be getting with a citrus, which mm. I'd say you don't normally yeah, get. So really. I think that, that part of it is quite nice, to be fair. Um, and like I say, it, it's... It's a good level of hop. I'm just not sure about the aftertaste. It kind of like fades away, but then that does with pales rather than an IPA. IPA is more about getting that aftertaste, where a pale ale is more about a smoothness to it, generally. Yeah, I, I also think it's one of those that might build up. I think this is the other thing. When you're going from a very distinct beer like Duval, we've always said, like, as we're switching between beers, whether or not that's completely making the aftertaste very non-existent or pleasant where that's been ruined before. Well, this is where I was quite clever because while you were gabbing on, not only did I neck the Dubel, I also had a bit of a palate cleanser in between just to uh, get rid of the taste. Oh, sorry. I was gabbing on, so, you know. 
I was not using it to my advantage. So, but at least what it means I didn't have to go. What was your palate cleanser? What was your uh, I used some of the Brewer Gold. <laughs> I respect that. I respect that. Yeah. Right, James. I think uh, it's time for to select our orders. I'll let. I believe I went last. No, I went first last time, so I'll let you go first. You went last first time. Okay. Um, I mean, the words are coming really well today, so uh, I'm not going to lie. The fact I managed to get through an episode and not completely spaff it, I'm quite amazed at. Um, oh, this, I just, <clears throat> yeah, it's really hard what to put in last place. Um, oh, you yeah, actually got a decision for you. I think it's going to be the, the Trappers do bell because it is oh, okay. really shocking. I'm surprised at that. Yeah, exactly. I, I think a lot of our listeners there will be surprised because I think we 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 obviously shone it in such a good light when we talked about it. Um, yeah. On the, I mean, on the bright side to it, though, I mean, if for whatever reason anybody is suffering from the effects of COVID and you know they're struggling to get rid of it, I think that may actually kill everything. So neck a bottle of it. It might. You also, um, you know, in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, where him and his granddad are there, like drinking something that makes them like float up to the ground. That is what it does. I'm, I'm telling you, this is what they were drinking. Um, yeah, I mean, carbonation overload, but also just the flavour is just—it's terrible. It's not like you say it, it's herbal, but it's not specific enough that you know your your analogy of dirt is probably quite fair for it. To be fair, I'm sure some master brewer spent years perfecting this, and he needs to go ah, back and spend. No, no, it's years. okay. They're monks in an abbey, so they don't need to associate with modern technology. So they'll never hear it. It's fine. Oh, uh, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. God, God doesn't have a podcast. Um, anyway, um, I would then. I think I'm then going to put Brewdog Punk IPA third. Okay. Well, that's a shocker because considering how much you like, you love that beer. I think for me, yes, I love the beer, but when I'm racing against all of these, I I do like Brewdog Punk IPA, and I go for it quite often. And it, you know, if I see it on draft, I have one. But I will always say this: I like Punk IPA. Would I sit there and have five or ten punk IPAs in a row? No. For me, this is like one or two beers to start with, potentially. It's not like a session stuff that I would do over the thing because I like the hops, but I know it's a lot of hops. It is a big hit of it. And therefore, it's not something that I tend to go overboard with. I think in bits, it's very pleasant, but too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. Um, I think... Uh, to be fair the top two is really hard for me because i I really like both of them i think i'm gonna put first audition second okay um i think i do really like it it's pleasant i like the fruitiness to it um but then when i have it with the pure gold the pure gold i very rarely like golden nails and it's such a pleasant drink that I find it hard not to uh, to go for it because honestly, it, it's just really smooth. It, it's a really pleasant taste to it, and like you say, it's it wasn't a golden ale. It felt like that sessionable pale that you would or lager that you would have at a barbecue or in the summer. I think you know, given, with a little bit more to know, it, yeah, kind of, yeah, exactly. And it's a little bit more complex than that. And I, honestly, I really like that. So, your gold is my number one. Right, you, Chris. Right, so. Uh... In fourth, I'm actually going to be putting the first up. Oh, no, joking. West Nile. That Dubal I just wanted to see what your reaction would be. Um, yeah, the Dubal was. Honestly, if you horrendous. had actually committed to it, I would have really railed you for it. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, the Dubal was just horrendous. Um, it is literally just medicine. Um, in third place is the Punk IPA. Again. No surprise, not a massive fan of it. You know, yeah. if I have to drink it, I will, but it's very rare I'll take that option. In second place, Bure Gold. What? What? Okay. Uh, I'm surprised by that, but okay. Mainly because, although it's a very nice, very easy drink, as an overall complexity to it, it's just probably lacking something as I would... I'll drink it like all day long, but not a problem. But when you're actually sitting there analysing the beer, I think it just lacks that one extra thing just to make it perfect. Whereas the first audition, which is quite surprising, I wouldn't drink as many of these as I would the pure gold. However, what I have of these, I will enjoy. 
There's enough complexity yeah. to it. There's enough accessibility to it. The the flavor profile throughout is quite nicely balanced. And yeah, I think that just literally just edges it for me. So, which is also good because I don't like agreeing with you. So, which I, honestly, I'm really glad for. And I think you know, the but when you said the punk IPA in third place, I was like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, you know, it, it's one of those where the top two for me were very close, and I agree with both of your points. I think, you know, when it comes to first audition, I think it's nice that something outside of a brewery in terms of the collaboration with the winemaker has actually made something good. We hated the chef one, and, you know. <laughs> Yeah. I think Gordon Ramsay's going to do a beer at some point when he's desperate for money, isn't it? Well, he's currently uh, riding around abusing uh, fast food workers, isn't he? So, yeah, he is. Um, yeah, g- give it time. Uh, but yeah, that was episode thirty-one. Thank you very much, people, for paying attention to us again and listening to us rabble on. Uh, apologies for the talking about football. I mean, it won't happen again. But uh... it won't happen again. It won't. <laughs> it, it really won't. Honestly, we're going to um, have a stern talk after this. That's never happening again. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, it felt unnatural and weird. Um, But yeah, so thank you very much. And we'll be speaking to you in a couple of weeks' time.